great. Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 12. We're continuing to preach through the gospel of John. John, if you've joined us in the last uh, little bit, of course, we started last year, January 1st of 2022, in John chapter 1 and verse number 1. And here we are, John chapter 12. Last week we uh, preached uh, John chapter 11, some of the verses there, and we concluded in verse number 44. And now they're plotting, uh, these religious Jews are plotting to kill Jesus. They see that this man is supernatural. This man can raise folks from the dead. So a man by the name of Caiaphas, he was a high priest, he, he meets with this council, this Pharisees, uh, they conspire to kill Jesus. Now let me just say this. From John chapter 12 to John, the end of John, uh, we find uh, only one week in the life of Jesus. Literally, as we begin in John 12, we'll, we will uh, start reading into the last week of our Savior. John, almost 50% of the book is dedicated to one week in the Savior's life. That's how important it is. As we preach through John chapter 12 and beyond, I want you to look and think about all of the things that Jesus did for you. By the way, when He was on the cross, I was on His mind. The sins that He died for, He died because He loved us. The Bible says in John uh, chapter 3 that He so loved us. The reason He did it uh, is He wanted to save us from hell, of course, these Pharisees conspire. And matter of fact, we'll pick up in verse 52, and not for the nation only. Now, now Caiaphas realizes that Jesus is going to die, as he said he would. He prophesied that he would die. But not just for the nation only, in verse 52, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. So he's going to die. This is not just for the Jews. Thank God it's for the Gentile as well, that he would come and to die for all people. His blood was shed for all. Verse 53, And from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. So from that very point is when they, now they tried to kill him other times, but from that very point they conspired. They said, we've got to have an inside job. We've, I believe this is where Judas come into play. And they, they begin to conspire. Verse 54, Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews, but went thence into a country near to the wilderness, into a city called Ephraim, and there continued with his disciples. And the Jews' Passover was not at hand, and many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then sought they for Jesus, and spake among themselves as they stood in the temple, What think ye that he will not come to the feast? Now they were planning, they were hoping that Jesus would come to this feast of the Passover. But look at verse 57. Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man, now this included his disciples, this included Mary and Martha, this included Lazarus, this included Simon the leper, this included anybody that had any whereabouts of where Jesus is at this given moment was to be associated with Jesus, was to put their life in danger, but also they wanted to know where he was and they were willing to go find out from these other friends of Jesus where he was so they could kill him. It says in verse 57, they knew where he were. Uh, he should show it that they might take him. They wanted to take Jesus, of course, and crucify him. We now come to, to chapter 12 and verse number 1, and we see this scene in Scripture 
that just sometimes it seems almost so sacred, so priceless that we, even to preach it, sometimes uh, I, I believe we're standing on holy ground. I, I do. I, I just, I love this story in John 12 about uh, a woman by the name of Mary. Now we see Mary in several times in Scripture, and I'll say a little bit more about that. But, but Mary here is at a, at a dinner with Jesus. Now Simon the leper, he invites these 12 disciples, Jesus, and then Mary and Martha, of course, are there, and their brother Lazarus is there. And, of course, there's 17 people at this supper at Simon the leper's house. And Simon the leper was healed by Jesus, and he invited Jesus and his disciples to come maybe celebrate. Maybe they're celebrating Lazarus, who was just raised from the dead, and they're eating. But this is a beautiful scene that's about to take place because Simon opens his home to Jesus and Martha opens her hands to serve Jesus but Mary opens her heart in worship to Jesus and she anoints the feet of Jesus and the head of Jesus and she cleans and wipes the feet of Jesus with her hair this precious ointment that we're going to read about some people estimate that this ointment was worth anywhere from $20,000 to $25,000 in today's market. And she broke that and used it on the feet of Jesus. The essence of love is asked, how much can I do for Jesus? That, that's kind of what the Lord has brought into me in these eight verses. How much can I do for Jesus? Not how little can I do, it's how much can I do for Him? If this woman was willing to break open what the other Gospels call the alabaster box and anoint the feet of Jesus and the head of Jesus with this precious ointment, what can I do? What should I do? Is there too much for God? You know, I, I watch these ball teams sometimes in these games and you'll have what they call fans and these fans get up and they put on their, their uh, fan attire and boy, they'll paint their faces. And I was watching the Raiders game uh, uh, the uh, other night and the Raiders were playing and they have this, this, this group of fans that wear the spikes and the, the shoulder pads and paint their faces. They look like medieval people. And they'll paint their faces and they go to the games that way. They, they kind of look scary to me, but they go to the game and they call themselves the fanatics. And sometimes we look at that and say, oh, them people love their team. But then we get fanatical for Jesus and we're crazy. But here a bunch of people looked at Mary that way, but she didn't care. I want to remind you that a Roman pound in this time was not 12... Oh, it was 12 ounces, it was not 16 ounces as we in our pound in our, in our society. We, we as uh, see the spike nerd in this lesson is, is very expensive. Spike nerd actually grows in the Himalaya mountains in India and in high elevations at 11,000 and 17,000 feet. And the roots of this spike nerd in the plant were used to make this special perfume that Mary pours out on the Savior's feet. And I believe that when it comes to worshiping our Lord, nothing, nothing is too extravagant. Nothing. After all, He's worthy of everything. And we can render Him because we all, what comes to Him, He deserves. And no gift is excessive and, and no expression of love is over the top. And the worship of Mary has much to teach us about our own worship in our own life. And I want you to examine this today. As we look at this extravagant display of worship 
Let's look at uh, uh, John chapter 12 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him, then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to preach in just these few verses. I pray that you will bless our time together, bless the message. And Lord, if there's one here today that is in need of salvation, I pray they'll come to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. I believe we see three things this morning in our text. The first thing we see about this portrait of extravagant worship is we see in the first three verses of John 12, we see the dedication of Mary. The dedication of Mary because Mary's heart was about to burst with the love for Jesus. I mean, she was in such worship that she, she just had to show him how much she loved him. And she gets up from the table and she goes and gets this expensive vial of perfume and anoints our Lord's head and feet. Now, uh, we understand that Lazarus, the story of Lazarus is only recorded in John's Gospel, John chapter 11. Only recorded in, one time in the Gospel. But this story in John chapter 12 is actually recorded in Matthew and in Mark. Matthew chapter 26 and Mark chapter 14 both record this incident and they actually call this box an alabaster box. Now you need to know what an alabaster box is. It is an actual small little vase that, that about 12 ounces of cost, costly perfume would fit inside this vase. And the perfume was so precious that a special vase had to be created out of clay or out of, uh, out of uh, some type of pottery. And they would make a long stem and they would break that stem off each time they would get this ointment out. Now you think about this for a moment. This was precious. This was costly. You couldn't find this anywhere in Jerusalem. You couldn't find this really anywhere else in the world other than the Himalayas. And yet she has this and no doubt it cost her a lot to have it. And she breaks it on Jesus and anoints Jesus. Which, you think about this, her brother had just died. And it was very common in the Jewish days to take ointment and actually put it on the loved ones. So their body, it, though it was corrupting, they had some type of embalming time, but it still would stink. And so what they would do is they would embalm it with very expensive perfume. But yet she did not do that for her brother. She saved it for Jesus. Now in Christ's day... People did not just sit at a table for their meals. I want you to envision in the Jewish custom, they would actually have a very low table, very low to the ground, and they would actually sit on the floor as in, almost in a reclining position. So that means that when Mary came to Jesus to anoint His feet and to anoint His head, she had to actually get on the dirt. 
and begin to worship. She humbled herself. At that very moment when she was at the feet of Jesus, she surrendered all to Him. She said, I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care what anybody's going to say. Mary was more in touch with Jesus than any of His other disciples. Jesus had said over and over that He was going to die. And many of the disciples didn't know what He was talking about. I mean, they were literally around Jesus all the time, but yet they did not understand what Jesus was meaning. But Mary did. Mary understood, in fact the only person that understood that I have any recollection with in the Bible was Mary. And the disciples were with Jesus much more than Mary did, but they, they did not believe. So every time we see Mary in the Gospels, she is at the Lord's feet. Every time. She appears in the gospel center stage, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through verse 42. The first time she appears in her own home, Mary, Martha, her sister, is working. And what is Mary doing? Mary is sitting at his feet and she's learning. The second time in scripture, in John chapter 11, just the previous chapter that we preached through, she sees or we see Mary at her brother's tomb and he's just died and here comes Jesus and guess what Mary does? She goes out to meet him and falls at his feet and starts supplicating. She's praying. The third time we see Mary, we see her in our text right here in John 12 and she's worshiping. Three times in Scripture, Mary's in the center stage and we find her at Jesus' feet. The first time we see her at her feet, uh, His feet, she is learning. The second time we see her at His feet, she is leaning. And the third time she is at His feet, she is loving. And we see that Jesus is being loved by Mary. Washing feet was something a humble servant would do. You think about in Jewish times, they would have walked around with sandals and in a dusty, dirty climate with a, a dusty, dirty road that they would travel on and their feet would get very dirty and so they would wash their feet. And for a servant to wash a man's feet, th this was a very humbling thing. And for Mary to wash the feet of Jesus, she had to humble herself. And she did not wash his feet with a towel. She washed his feet with her hair. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 15, that the glory of a woman is her hair. So she took something that was so glorious and something that was so precious and she took it and wiped the feet of Jesus. Something so precious. You see, everyone there at that supper had reason to worship Jesus. You think about this. Everybody that was present at this supper, at this very moment, had reason to worship Jesus. Lazarus has been raised from the dead. But you know what he's doing? He's watching. Oh, Simon the leper, he, he was cleansed of leprosy. And guess what? Instead of him worshiping, he's watching. Martha, she had witnessed her brother being raised from the dead. What's she doing? She's worrying and working, but she's not worshiping. Judas... Judas Iscariot in the presence of the Holy One. He's at supper with Jesus. And he could have believed salvation. He could have believed Jesus is the Messiah. And to save him from his sins and deliver his soul from hell. But yet Jesus, or Judas rather, is not worshiping. He's find, finding fault and complaining. Mary is the only one right here at this supper table. Worshiping. And guess what? Jesus said... 
that in, in Matthew, I believe it is, and in Mark, that whatever this gospel, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, that this woman has done well and it should be held as a memorial. You think about that. I believe this is what Jesus would have said. I gave my life for thee, my precious blood I shed. That thou mightest ransom be and quicken from the dead. I gave, I gave my life for thee. What hast thou given me? I gave, I gave my life for thee. What hast thou given me? We see the dedication of Mary. But secondly, we see this. We see the denouncement of Mary. The denouncement of Mary. Look at John chapter 12. Look at verse 4. The Bible says, Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. Mark chapter 14, for sake of time, we don't have to turn over there, but Mark 14, 4 says that they rebuked her harshly. Literally, I believe Judas was the ringleader. He provoked the other disciples to possibly focus in on Mary. That word in the Greek uh, is a same word. It indicates that they snorted their indications like a wild horse. They, they just kind of lashed out on her. Why would someone criticize another for doing a good deed? Well, someone has, so, someone has said this, that it takes no size to criticize. These are the first recorded words of Judas in the New Testament and they reveal his heart. His complaint was about doing too much for Jesus. Think about that. His complaint was about doing too much for Jesus. Think about this. Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That's about 120 denarii. And Mary gave an offering of two and a half times that amount in worship of the Lord. She literally outgave Judas. Judas sold Jesus for a merely 30 pieces of silver. But he criticizes her. G. Campbell Morgan said it's a great compliment to be criticized by certain people. <laughs> there's, there's truth to that. When certain people are criticizing you, can I just say you might as well shout the glory because you're probably doing a good work. When Judas is criticizing you, you have reason to be excited. Why was this a waste in Judas's eyes? He was saying, this is a year's wage. I mean, we could feed the poor. Now, Judas, John included that Judas was not interested in feeding the poor, but he wanted an excuse to complain. She knew that even if she tried to explain, people of that kind would never understand. We have some people in here that worship the Lord. We have some people in here that has given all. I mean, think about it. Your life as an alabaster box, broken and spilled out and, and given to Jesus. And, and think about your life that way. But then there's others that says, no, it belongs to me. And why in the world would you do that? And why in the world would you behave that way? Why in the world? You are a fanatic. But can I just say that Jesus is worthy of our gifts that we give Him, our worship. As the Bible says in John chapter 12 that Judas was a thief. That word thief is where we get our word klepto, kleptomaniac. Literally, I believe Judas had his hand in the bag where he wouldn't let go. Listen, I'm going to go out on a limb here and, and say this. People that are constantly worried about the money, better watch them. Not always. We're very upfront. 
and I'm going to share with you in just a little bit. We're very upfront, very transparent about the finances even of our church. There's nothing to hide. We, 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 we have outsourced CPAs. We've got intern. Brother Stan's our treasurer. He attends our first service. We're very transparent. Anything you want to know. But what I have discovered in lots of churches is sometimes the one thing that people will hone in on and you'll find it, it pops red flags over all, is they're constantly worried about the money. Preacher, we can't give that much to missions. Are you crazy? We can't buy that much gospel literature. Are you? I mean, it's usually about... Listen, if there's frivolous things going on and all kinds of stuff, then sure, it, it's, it's not our money. It's not my money, certainly. But listen, most of the time, it's about spending too much to help others. Oh, red flags popping up everywhere. I've not encountered a Judas in our church. And we've, I've been here nearly seven years. I, I've not encountered. But it does not mean that sometimes they'll be planted here and there and constantly watching and hiding private or holding private meetings and trying to sow discord. Judas was, he, he didn't have the right intentions from the very beginning, did he? But yet we see Mary, she's worshiping. We see the denouncements of Mary. But then we see this, and here's the end of it. We see the defense of Mary. Look with me to Matthew chapter 26 real quick. Matthew 26. Y'all are good listeners this morning. I want you to see the defense of Mary. Someone stands up for Mary. Matthew chapter 26, the same story. Matthew sheds a little bit more light into the story of what Jesus has said. And look with me in verse number 10 of Matthew 26. This ointment now has on, it's on Mary, or it's on rather Jesus' head, and it's on his feet, and Mary has done wiped his feet with her hair. And now they gang up on Mary and they start accusing her. Look at verse 10. And when Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. Jesus did not wait to come to her side. Jesus automatically stands up for her and says, hey, why are you picking on her? She is doing a good thing. What's he saying? Leave her alone. When Jesus says leave somebody alone, guess what you ought to do? You ought to leave them alone. When Jesus says leave them alone, stop it. She has done nothing wrong here. Matter of fact, she's done everything right. Jesus did not hesitate to come to Mary's defense and rebuke them. And she even says in verse 10 that she has done a good work Upon me. There are two Greek words for good. One meaning is, means morally good. The other word, the other meaning, which is used here, it means something beautiful, something winsome, something lovely. It's a communicated love. You know what he's saying? She has done a lovely thing. She has worshipped me and given me her all. Why did Jesus call this a beautiful work? Here's why I believe that. I believe because he was aware of her loving motive. I believe Jesus knew her heart. She could not pour the perfume on Jesus and wipe his feet with her hair without getting some on her. When she wiped, listen church, when she wiped Jesus' feet with her hair, she could not help but leave Different. She smelt different. 
me say this. I've watched Christians. I've been raised in this my whole life. This is all I know. This is all I know. Church. I've seen tons of churches. I've seen tons of, tons of Christians. I've seen tons of pastors. I've seen people come to church with their arms folded and a smile or, or rather a frown on their face and kind of reserved and just bitter at the world. And listen, I've seen others come with tears in their eyes and hands raised and loving Jesus. You say, Pastor, what's the difference? One has broken the alabaster box and the other... Their blesser is broken. And when you get around one that's been with Jesus and wiped their hair on his feet, the aroma of that alabaster box blesses you. You ever been around someone and when you leave you've been like, wow, oh man, that person right there sure loves Jesus. Let me say this, love for Jesus changes you but it changes everybody around you. Love for Jesus, it's contagious. It, it spreads. And listen, the Lord said, she's done a good work. And many of us have unused perfume in our life. We do. We have it sitting on the counter. And we have actually, Brother Joel, we've actually broken our alabaster box and we've anointed things in our life that are useless. We've actually poured and given the best. We've actually poured and given the best to other things while the whole time Jesus desires our praise and our worship. We walk around and we think we've done something. We need to break a vase and anoint the Lord. Our church needs to break our vases and anoint the Lord because He's worthy. And by the way, He would be honored and we would be blessed. And when people come to our church, they would sense something different. Why? We have broken our alabaster box and we have worshipped the Lord. And it spreads. It's contagious. Listen, one of the goals and one of the prayers for our church is this, that we would be a worshipping church. Y'all understand, I preached a message a few months ago on uh, spirit-filled worship. Why? It's when we don't care what everybody else thinks. It's when we don't care about our row. We don't care about the person beside us. All we do is say, I'm breaking my alabaster box out today because He alone is worthy. Here's what we do. We'll come and sometimes we'll, we'll sing a song as Jacob put in the... Uh, the, the order of, of, of our song selection today. And he, God is so good, God. And we'll sing that. But it doesn't, call, it doesn't do anything for us. Why? Because we have not been in the right mind. We start thinking about the goodness of God. We start thinking about His goodness and all He's done. And by the way, listen church. When we start thinking about what we deserve. You know what we deserve? We deserve nothing. He has been so good to us. We ought to just sometime, hey, just break open that alabaster box and we ought to just get down and humble ourselves. Listen, many of us want the alabaster box broken on us. I believe if Mary would have broken the alabaster box and worshipped Judas, he would have been perfectly fine with it. Judas probably would have sat there and said, hey, you missed a spot. 
But since it was Jesus, he had a problem. You know what Mary did? She made Jesus Lord. She worshipped him. It cost her. It cost her big time. Listen, if you worship him the way he's deserving, it'll cost you. It'll cost you. What's what's serving the Lord? What's worshiping the Lord cost you? And I'm not even talking about monetary things right now. I'm talking about what has it cost you? Friendships? Some of the reason why some of you have not worshipped the Lord and broken that alabaster box is you are associated with the wrong crowd. Anybody that scoffs and makes fun of my worship ain't no friend of mine. Shouldn't be. The world may not understand it. But He's worthy. Even people in the church may not understand your worship. But He's worthy. Listen to me. We should not care what others think. We should break open our alabaster box and say, Lord, I'm going to worship you anyhow. You say, Pastor, I'm going through a tough time right now. Oh, listen. Listen, the toughest of times is the sweetest aroma. Praising the Lord in a storm. Oh, listen, He's worthy of our praise.